this is a sequoia redwood tree which grows in California and they are some of the biggest trees in the world. And the next one is, well this is, this is General Sherman and this is the bottom of it. This General Sherman is a sequoia redwood. It is one of the it is the largest living single stem tree on earth. It's 275 feet tall, so that's 83 meters for those who do modern maths. Uh, the circumference around the base is 31 meters or 102 feet, and it's approximately two and a half thousand years old. So you can see it's almost as tall as the Statue of Liberty in there compared to blue whales and space shuttles and brachiosauruses. Now, something that huge surely must have a root system that goes down deep into the ground, right? Well, Ezra will back me up here, I hope, because he's, do you know anything about this, Ezra, being a tree man? <laughs> no, they have root systems that only go down somewhere between six and 12 feet into the ground. So they stand nearly 300 feet tall, but they're six, the roots only go six to 12 feet down. And yet, these mammoth trees rarely fall over. They rarely get destroyed. They can survive strong winds. They can survive earthquakes. They can survive fires because their bark is fire resistant. They can survive storms and flooding. And so the question I have this morning is, how can something so huge stand so tall with only roots that go down 10 feet into the ground? And the answer is because of this little picture here, that although they only go down 10 feet or so into the ground, they spread out... Or, almost 150 feet wide and they intertwine and they interlock with the other redwood trees that live by them so beneath the surface of these humongous trees the root systems are all interlocked and intertwined and in such a way that the trees become interdependent upon one another for nutrients to help them grow so they provide one another with nutrients to help them grow and then they because they grow together and because their roots are interlocked it they stand tall together and it prevents them from falling over. And they literally hold one another up 300 feet into the sky. And only redwood trees can support other redwood trees. And the, the giant redwood is a picture of what I think the writer to the Hebrews says to us in chapter 10. That as Christians, we are called to have interlocking and interwoven lives that will help us to stand up tall against the storms of life that threaten our faith in Jesus Christ. And so this is what he says to us in chapter 10 from verses 19 to 25. So please follow along with me. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As we said last week, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of at-risk Christians who are tempted to turn away from Jesus uh, because of the severe hardship and the persecution that they were facing. 
And the anonymous author writes to them to challenge them to persevere in their faith. And he does that through emphasising one word that you see uh, throughout the book. And that is the word better. He wants his readers to know that what they have in Jesus is better than anything that the Old Testament could offer them, than anything that the tabernacle or the temple or the sacrificial system could offer them. He's better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than anything else. Now, as we said last week in verses 19 to 21, he summarizes his argument that he's been making since chapter 3, that Jesus is our great high priest and he's the perfect atoning sacrifice and he has established for us a new and a living way to draw near to God through his own blood. And then he says, since this is true, let's do three things. And he makes three uh, exhortations towards his readers. The first two we looked at last week. So the first let us is, it, it relates to God. It's verse 22. Let us draw near with confidence to God. Then the second let us is, uh, it relates to ourselves. In verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Now this week, the third let us relates to how we view other believers. And it goes like this. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And the word consider there in verse 24 is a word that means to perceive clearly or to understand fully or to watch closely. It's the same word that the writer uses in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, when he calls uh, us as brothers and sisters, he says, Holy brothers and sisters, you who share in this heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. So in Hebrews 3, he uses the word to say, consider Jesus, perceive him, understand him fully, watch him closely, because if you don't, your faith won't be strong or secure or stable. And now here in chapter 10, he says, consider one another's, perceive them clearly, try to understand them fully and try to watch them closely so that we can stir one another up and encourage one another to love and good deeds. So just as we should be fixing our eyes on Jesus and considering him, we should also at the same time be considering others and having a disposition of care and concern and compassion towards one another that he says results in a love for Christ that overflows into a love for one another. And love and good works should be the hallmark of every church. But they don't happen automatically. We need one another. We need Christian brothers and sisters that God has joined us to in the local church to help us fulfill this command. And we're called to stir one another up. That's a word that literally means provoke. But it's not, as we're probably familiar, if we've got kids, when you go on a long journey and their elbows start moving and they start nudging one another and they go, oh, he's on my space and she's on my space and he's hurting me and he's annoying me. And they provoke one another and they bring out the worst in one another. We're to provoke, we're to stir one another up, we're to energise one another, to bring out the best in one another. It's to be done positively for the sake of others, for the good of others, for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of God. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we stir up each other to love and good deeds? And he, the writer of Hebrews, has two ways in which we're to do this. First one is in verse 25, where it's we are to meet together regularly, which is why we've been so keen to get back to public meetings, even though we can't 
sing, even though we're limited in numbers, even though we have to wear masks, even though it's a little bit weird. But we're called to meet together regularly. He does this by using a sort of a negative phrase in verse 25. It's a strong and emphatic warning where he says, don't neglect to meet together. Now that word neglect here is the same word that gospel writers use in Matthew 27 and Mark 15 when Jesus cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Literally could be, my God, my God, why have you neglected me? It's the same word. It's the same word that the guy, uh, the writer of Hebrews uses in Hebrews 13 when he says, uh, God promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you nor neglect you. So it's a strong word. We're commanded not to neglect, not to forsake, not to abandon the gathering of the local church. If we were to put verse 25 positively, we would say this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your presence and participation in the corporate gathering and worship service of the church is mandatory. That's how we would say it if he was putting it positively. Now, that might sound legalistic. That might sound pedantic. That might sound impractical to some of us. And yet... Such a high view of the gathering of the church on Sundays is warranted in light of verse 25. Now, obviously, some in the church were neglecting to meet together because he says to us in the second half of the verse that some have got into the habit of, of not meeting together. Verse 25, part B, indicates that some of the first audience had already given up on the church and that their habitual absence had become customary and noticeable and normal. Now, let's ask the question, why were they forsaking the gathering of the church? Well, if you remember, these were a bunch of Christians who were facing persecution and hardship because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so their lives are on the line literally every time they went to meet with the church. And yet, even though they were at the threat of martyrdom, God still commands them not to neglect meeting together. Even though every time they gathered, these ancient believers could be martyred for just showing up at church, God still wants them to meet together. So I was, I was thinking about this this week. What would God say to me when I come up with all kinds of sinful or selfish or silly or superficial excuses for the idea of missing church? What would he say to us? He would say, do not neglect to meet together. Don't forsake it. Don't abandon it. Now, probably you've got the question in your mind, does this mean that we must never, ever miss church again, ever? Does this mean that there's no legit reason to not be here on a Sunday, that if we can't go away to our family, we can't go on holiday, what if we're sick, what if there's a pandemic, what does that mean? Well, let me answer that question with a principle I got from H.B. Charles, who's a pastor in Florida who I think guides us in answering this. Unfortunately, it won't come up on the screen, but I'll read it a couple of times. Here's the principle he works to, and I think it's wise. He says this, if you are absent and others don't know where you are, but they're not surprised that you're not there, you're probably not in the will of God on this matter. And then he says this, if you can miss church without being missed, something is missing and if you can miss church without missing church something is missing i think that's just a great way of answering the question if you are absent and others don't know where you are but they're not surprised by your absence then perhaps something is wrong 
And if you can miss church without being missed, something is missing. And if you can miss church without missing church, something is missing. So let's heed the writer to the Hebrews in verse 25 where he says, let us not neglect to meet together. Let us be in regular attendance as often as we can, uh, given the circumstances. Let us position ourselves to receive all that we can from the gathering of the church when we're together that will strengthen us and equip us and, and help us to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering when we're scattered throughout the week. Let's not forget what we need. Through the gospel, we have been made the body of Jesus Christ. We've been made the church, and that means that without one another, we are incomplete. None of us are so gifted and so competent that we can grow and thrive without other Christians and those that are brothers and sisters in our local church. And if we neglect to meet together as God's people, we've forgotten that we need the whole body joined and built together, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, to grow into maturity and Christ-likeness. So, in times where it is just too hard to get out of bed and come to church, in times when neglecting church seems so attractive and so inconsequential, when your bed seems so warm and comfortable, let's consider afresh this verse and how badly we need one another. And how badly we need to receive the preaching of God's word. And how badly we need to participate and receive and celebrate the Lord's Supper. And how badly we need to be strengthened in our faith through other believers and all of the beautiful means of grace that we share with one another. As God dispenses his gifts and his grace through his people gathered together. And at the end of verse 25 he tells us that we need to do this all the more as we see the day drawing near. There are numerous biblical texts that tell us that the last days will be uh, defined and uh, seen and shown to be through increased chaos and trouble and false teaching and temptations and persecutions and threats and trials and hardships. And that living as a Christian in this world is not going to get any easier. It's just going to get harder and harder and harder for us. And so we all the more need to gather together in a, in a world that is increasing in decay, in both morally and spiritually, we need to put aside our excuses for a lazy Sunday morning. We need to put aside our excuses to bail out or give up when the pressures rise. And that will become easier and easier as the temptations and the persecutions and the threats and the hardships become ever increasing. But never before have we so desperately needed one another. And isn't that true through this pandemic that we desperately need one another to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. You can find better preaching on YouTube. You can, believe it or not. You can laugh at that. <laughs> you can find better worship music on Spotify. But you will not get the edification or the encouragement that we need if we cut ourselves off from the very place that God has designed to give it to us. We can read good Christian books we can listen to good Christian podcasts. We can enjoy good Christian music on the internet. But those supplements must never, ever become substitutes for our corporate gathered worship together. So let's do what the writer to the Hebrews encourages and meet together. Let's be like giant sequoia redwoods. Let's have our lives uh, interlocked and interwoven so that the roots of our lives flow together. We become in, interdependent upon one another so that we can stand tall 
against all of the storms of life that assault our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, God gives us the strength to persevere. He will strengthen us in times of difficulty, but often he dispenses that gift through other Christians in our local church who come alongside us, lock arms with us, and strengthen us and help us and stir us up and edify us to love and to good deeds. So that's the first reason or the first way that we encourage one another and stir one another up to love and good deeds. And the second one is this, we encourage one another regularly. If you look with me at verse 25, what you'll see is the contrast that the author writes is not between do you go to church or you don't go to church. Actually, the contrast that he highlights for us is between not meeting together and encouraging one another. So actually, it's not enough just to put your bum on a chair in a meeting on a Sunday morning. Your presence is not enough. Our participation is required. We should not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. That as we come to Sunday mornings, as we think about corporate gatherings of the church, uh, and this can be true in one-to-one and small group, even though it's on Zoom and, and different settings, G2 or Switch or Life, participation in those gatherings, and especially on Sunday morning, is not a spectator sport. We don't just show up, receive the word, drop something in the, in the offering basket, greet a few people, and then go home wondering whether... The service suited our tastes, touched our emotions and met our needs. Now, the, the gathering of the church is supposed to be three-dimensional. There's, there's this upward dimension where we bless God. So we come and we praise him and we thank him and we express our gratitude for all that he's done for us. So there's that upward dimension of, of blessing God. Then there's that sort of downward dimension where God blesses us. He comes and he meets with his people and he encourages us and he strengthens our faith and he blesses us. And we hear his word preached and we go away uh, equipped and strengthened for the week ahead. And then there's that horizontal dimension where we bless one another. Where we come to bless one another by encouraging one another and stirring one another up to love and good deeds. So when we gather together we should expect more than just a great motivational message or a great individual worship experience, we should come expecting to be encouraged by one another and to be an encouragement to one another. And that's true even in this strange season of life. Let's not forget not only what we need, but also what we bring. That we are a crucial part of God's body. Every one of us is a crucial part of God's body, of Christ's body. And we need one another because every one of us has got a gift to bring to the, good, to the church for the common good, for our edification and our encouragement. And the church is only complete when you bring it and when you use it. So whatever that gift might be, we need one another to grow. We need to be like Sequoia Redwoods. We need our roots intertwined and interlocked. We need to become interdependent upon one another. We need one another and the gifts that one another have so that we can be like the Sequoia Redwoods, so that we can share the nutrients that we need to grow strong, so that we can be strengthened in our faith, so that we can be encouraged, so that we can grow healthily and bear much fruit, so that we can abide in Christ. So when you come on a Sunday morning, the goal should be that we leave here having beheld the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, as we said a couple of weeks ago, and we're more grace-filled and we're more grateful and we're more faithful to Jesus than if we hadn't been here. And that our experience as we interact with one another, as we 
before, during, and after the service. And, and we try, we'll try and work out ways in which you could do that during the service if you feel God has got, you know, laid something on your heart to share. We, can, we want that even in this weird season. But we want to engage with one another, to encourage one another, to demonstrate love to one another, to stir one another up to love and good deeds using the gifts that God has given to us. And so verse 24 is a very intentional verse because it says consider. It requires us to sit down and to think and not just to rock up and drift in aimlessly. It, it means we think about how we're going to come. Perhaps we even pray in advance and ask God to use us this morning to encourage others. Is someone doubting? How can I point them to faith in Christ? Is someone discouraged? How can I encourage them with the promises of God? Is someone tempted? How can I show them that Jesus is better than the sin that tempts them? How can I use the, God's truth and how can I use the grace that we know in Jesus Christ to, to strengthen someone else? How, can I call them to faith? Can I call them to persevere? Can I call them to repent? Can I show them the grace of God in Christ at the cross? Maybe it's a word of encouragement. Maybe it's just a sharing of scripture. Maybe it's a spiritual gift or prayer. The possibilities are endless, but the writer of Hebrews wants us to gather together to stir one another up and to encourage one another in our faith, to strengthen us in our holding fast of the confession of our hope, Jesus Christ, and to do that without wavering. So let's ask God to make us a people who are intent on taking advantage of all of the lavishness of his grace that he has given to us in Jesus. And let's extend that grace and that mercy to one another and receive from others as well. All the gifts that God has given to his church and all the encouragement that comes through the gospel so that we might build one another up like Sequoia Redwoods to stand tall and resist and stand firm in the face of all of the challenges of life that assault our lives and our faith in Christ. And we do that through Christ. We do that into, we build them into Christ and we do that for the glory of Christ. Let's pray together.